Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number 106 of Confessions of a Market Maker. I'm your co-host, Ray, a.k.a. All Day Ray, a.k.a. Wally Balls. And I'm joined here by my renowned co-host, former market maker, 20 years and current day retail trader, the man who's brought to you some of Vancouver's most infamous deals, the prodigal son of House Street and the man who's got more stories than Forrest Gump. JJ, how's it going? What's up, brother? How are you? I'm doing great, man. We got a special episode today, man. We got two guests. Mm -hmm. And our first guest is a trader and quantitative developer on the Intercontinental Exchange as well as a quantitative trading researcher at web services group PowerWeave. Getting his start trading markets in 1980, he's been a member of both New York and Chicago exchanges for over 30 years. He's had a front row seat throughout the market's transition from floor to electronic trading. I'm talking about Chris Caddy. Chris, how's it going? Hi, yep. Hi, everybody. Thanks for watching. Um, for people who are checking us out at a later date today for is um, is April 18th, 2023. April 18th is the date, and our second guest is the director at Profile Trading. He's an active researcher and refined the methodology into a powerful trading framework and system. He's been involved in the market throughout his professional career and has acted as an institutional broker, some of the world's largest investment banks and trading houses in the world. He's collaborated with other professionals to write several trading books with his most recent book, Stoudemire, Stato Meyer on Markets, Trading with Market Profile, second edition. It's considered to be a classic guide to the revolutionary trading methodology called Market Profile. Of course, I'm talking about Stephen B. Hawkins. Stephen, thanks for joining us. Uh, thank, thanks for having me. I, I appreciate it. Look forward to spending an hour with you guys. Now it should be a lot of fun. All right. So now that I got past the long-winded intros, um, appreciate you gentlemen joining us. I always like hearing people start. Uh, into the markets when they first gained interest, how they got their first job. So I, I guess, Chris, uh, we can start with you first. Uh, can you just give us a, you know, a little background, how you got involved in markets? Yeah, it was 1980, uh, summer of 1980. They just created stock index futures. I went to work on the exchange for my stepbrother, Kevin McAuliffe, and we had a disagreement and I volunteered my services to Walter Frank. And after two weeks, uh, his, his father was chairman of the New York Stock Exchange. After two weeks, he said, I said, are you aware I'm not getting paid? He said, no, how much do you need? In those days, they used to overstaff for, to accommodate for the bulges in business mm -hmm. on the exchanges. And before, of course, this is many years before um, computers and everything was done. Uh, as they would say, everything was done. Uh, action was in the wrist and um, on paper. And uh, so he started. He, was like, yeah, you know, I knew the clerks got 250 a week. He said, you know, I said 250 a week. He said, done. And then nine months later, he made me a member and, uh, and it was off from there. Uh, it wasn't until 1991 that I actually got to meet Pete and Steve. Nice, nice. Now, Chris, was, was the market something you always know you wanted to be involved? Do, do you remember, did you always have a love for it? Do you just remember like that first moment? Well, Yes. I mean, obviously, when you first walk onto the ex well, now you can no longer do this, but when you would work, first walk onto the exchange floor, it was a, a combination of NASA meets Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> it was at the time it was the techiest. It was also filled with the, the most famous storied gamblers, risk takers, real shooters sure. and people who, as as all of us who were there know. Right. It was it was 
it was it was like the Marlboro men. It was you know it was the cow Americans are so identified with the cowboy image, and this was a place where the, all the cowboys, modern day cowboys, could make it or break it. Interesting. All right, Steve. Yeah, I guess mine was a little bit more traditional. I, I went I went to university. Um, I've got a degree in economics and finance. Uh, I had an interest in the markets. I, I really can't say that I expected to spend my whole career in the markets. Just had a, an interest in them. Uh, you know, I was uh, first job out of university. I was uh, you know in, in the mid uh, mid eighties. I got a job at a brokerage house, and it was in the South Loop. And I happened to go out for lunch with some guys and ran into a an old high school friend and he actually had partnered up with Peter Stoudemire the you know the previous uh year and they were launching a company and uh you know I was always a, a decent athlete in, in in high school and a lot of people believe uh you know gamblers and athletes can become good traders so they asked me if I wanted to be involved in their company so I just kind of from the ground bottom up you know learned the methodology then I started working with uh individuals more retail guys understanding it you know back then they had a something called market logic school which was a, a school you know that would run probably once a month they would have a week-long session as far as educating people on profile and i would help the people who wanted the additional help and started on the uh with individuals and professionals and then got involved with some bank traders and training them and and uh involved in money management and that's kind of my my whole progression well see steve um why, why do they say that uh athletes and gamblers uh, trans transition well or, or make for good traders? I think primarily the discipline that one that uh, trading requires, you know, obviously the most important aspect of trading, I would say, is uh, is being disciplined, you know, getting in, important to getting in, but more importantly, getting out. I mean, if you can be disciplined in, in managing the risk, you know, I think there's lots of opportunity and you should be able to make it in this game. But if you don't have that 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 quality, then it's going to be much more difficult. For Jay, sure. can, can I add something, Jay? Mm-hmm. Um, when I asked why they made me at 20 into a member uh, of the exchange. Um, Walter Frank said, when he told me this story, he said, when you're ski racing, right? I came as a ski racer. He, when you crash, what do you do? I say, I dust myself off and I change my technique. Mm. And he says, that's why we hired you as an, because he says, we look at all these resumes from people who've checkboxed their way through life, right? Chote you know, uh, Harvard, MIT, wherever, London School of Graduate, Chicago School of Economics, et cetera. He says those people have been told what the what they do is the way the the what you have learned is the way things work. And then the Walter went on to say that essentially markets don't function that way. What you need is what they called at the time transitional coping skills, the ability to deal mm. with change. Right? So in a in Obviously, discipline is required or you lose all your money. And so, but the the addition of people with a non-traditional background generally have better coping skills with transitions than those people who have checkboxed their way through life. Because under a stressful situation, if you've gone to Harvard or, or wherever, no, no rip on Harvard, but if you've gone to a pedigree school and come through a pedigree background, you have so much invested in that that you think that what you've learned is right. But by definition, what you've learned has already happened and the markets are always evolving. Fascinating. So fascinating. Yeah. So, so I'm interesting. Um, I think a good, like next starting point would just be how you guys met. Uh, when, when was the first time you guys crossed paths and, you know, whatever one of you guys want to take a stab at it. 1991, uh, NYMEX, which is 
literally a hundred feet off my right shoulder, uh, Keaton Steve came to teach a class on their data segmenting software and called Capflow. Was it called Capflow then, Steve? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it was required. It was five days of there. No one had shown up on the exchange and was like, we're going to teach a class five days. You got to be there for five hours after the bell. Wow. I it was. I think that's when Daniel, Daniel Rappaport took the bull by the horns and really wanted to find a way to uh, you know, make the, the floor traders more viable. You know, I think markets were changing and they saw the benefit of education, you know, which is of course important in, in trading. And so, uh, they spent you know a good chunk of money to, to bring us out there and educate the uh, the traders and uh, you know, as far as methodology goes and then also got them exposed to the software which uh, you know they had some licenses on the floor and we got a, you know a, a big following there and, and I think uh, you know it's it served the, the trading community well I mean if nothing else it kind of got them uh, uh, like Chris mentioned I mean I think uh, looking at things and being a little bit flexible in how they look at things you know bringing new new ways of viewing the markets and I think that's always uh, always important you don't want to be uh, uh, too active in changing your your perspective or what you're trying to do but you do want to be open to maybe things that can help you and uh, yeah I think that the market profile is a wonderful tool as far as organizing and displaying data and so um, a quick footnote Danny Rappaport who uh, Steve just mentioned uh, was chairman of the NYMEX at the time mm -hmm. and before the exchanges were a for-profit um, entity the members would elect the chairman and so Danny was, of course, a very popular member and then chairman. And uh, and so they didn't have to necessarily answer to shareholders in regards to the path that the membership would per, you know, pursue. And in this case, it was a five day. Was it five days or was it two yeah, weeks? Yeah. It was five it was days, five, yeah. five <laughs> days, five hours. Like you go to work and then you have to sit down in a classroom. And there must have been there must have been 300 people in that room. Yeah, yeah, it was big, a big gathering, you know, at lunch, I think uh, something when you arrived, I think early on, they maybe had sandwiches there, and then we got into the, the nuts and bolts of it, and sat, they sat, like you said, four or five hours, and by, you know, six, seven o'clock, I think people were getting glassy-eyed and ready to go home, but <laughs> right. they, 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 right. they stuck with it. Yeah, and so for all of us who had been just in the ring, uh, it was a massive transition. Pete was like, yo. He was literally like, yo, people, the electronic trading is coming. You better get your, you better, because you're not going to be able to stay up 24 hours and watch this. So you're going to need to segment data while you sleep so that when you wake up, you can be in, se in step with the market the way it would have happened if you were watching it in the ring. Mm -hmm. mm, interesting. And this, and this was not early nineties. Yeah. 91. Okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So, um, because Steve, I, I think you said because the you guys came to to teach the the course because the markets were changing. Was was that kind of what you were referencing, like the the transition to maybe more uh, from the floor to electronic? Trading? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We like to say, you know, way back when early on, I think all the liquidity was on the floor. You know, Chris kind of tested it as far as the uh, the deep pockets and and the ability for people to take on positions and and everything like that. The uh, the locals could absorb pretty much everything, but the as more funds got involved in banks, so, you know, that's when the liquidity moved off the floor. And I yeah. think the position that the local could could, could take and, and everything else, they, they couldn't absorb the order flow. So it really necessitated the uh, the locals, uh, the specialists, what, whatever was trying to take the other side of the trade, a way to organize that. And this was the, 
you know, a way for them to do that and, and kind of put them in a position to, to, to manage the trade and manage the risk, you know, which is, of, of course, important. You know, back then, you people could average and, you know, there's, they, they, you know, if you had deep enough pockets, you could do anything and, and you know, it's going to come out in your favor. But, uh, you know, with all the liquidity off the floor, that no longer was the case. I mean, the example of that would be, for example, the broker would approach the ring and say, what's here? And typically in the old days, we'd say five, six, you know, five bid at six. And the guy would say six bid for 10 million. And you'd just be like, uh, <laughs> you'd just be like, so, uh, so in the, yeah, the funny way is right. Is, is that we eventually learned on the floor that we would, the guy would come in and go, what's here. We'd say, you tell us. <laughs> wow. That's, that's, that's quite a change. I mean, I, 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 I worked with market makers for, you know, decades. Uh, I got in um, right when the floors were closing in Vancouver. So the guys who taught me were, you know, ex-floor traders. And so I learned about things like inventory and, you know, how inventory moves and, you know, how when the order flow hits, the inventory moves and that sort of thing. And it, it took a while. I mean, even with us, we were all equities based. I mean, the software we had, we had level two software that we had to refresh by hitting enter all the time. You know, <laughs> okay. it was Dow Jones Tellerate, you know. Right. And, I remember those, right? I you know, and you had to right. sit, sit, sit there and hit enter all the time to refresh your level two. And because we were making markets in, you know, 20 or 30 different companies were moving U.S. market makers around, um, you know, and then trying to like capture, capture the buying. That's basically all we're doing because our clients were like, what did trade? Uh, 15 million shares. How much did I sell? Six. Okay. See it, kid. Call you tomorrow. And that was it. They didn't care about price because they had, they had their paper at, you know, a 10th of a penny and were selling it at a $3 volume, $10 volume, whatever it was. Right. So, you know, we were liquidators and so uh -huh. when, I, when I started trading, I'm just so excited to have you guys here because if not for market profile after my heart attack, I would have had to go back and start doing deals. I would have never made it in retail trading. It gave me the the understanding of how exactly um, how to see a market properly. So I could actually I couldn't even execute without knowing where to execute, what to do. I was, you know, people were trying to teach me candle patterns and, you know, bulls holding flags and raccoons holding T-shirts and all this stuff. And I was like, OK, where's the bid? Because my whole life I've been taught just go find the bid and work off of it. Right. Um, you know, if you're a short seller, find the bid, that's where you're covering. If you're going long, find the bid and go long in front of it, you know, um, and front run the bid. So when I saw a profile and you could see like how accurate it was tick by tick, um, it was just, it just blew me away. In fact, it blew me away so much that I'd come up with levels and things like that. And it would trade right there to the tick and I'd be so blown away. I couldn't even take the trade. I was just flabbergasted. You know, it took me, it was, it was just, and the, the thing was, I was trying to tell people, you got to look at this, you got to look at this, but they didn't want to put in the time to learn it. Um, and that, that's, that, that's the thing. It's, you know, it kind of hurts your head when you first look at it. Um, you know, if you've never seen these charts before, um, you're, it really, you have to sort of, kind of open your mind and be open to learning new things without arguing constantly, which I find a lot of traders do. They're like, but, but, but I'm like, just, just give it a second and watch. And, well, um, time it's out, just... time out. What would you suggest for someone who's watching for the first time? And here you have Steve Hawkins. What would you suggest 
that that person, how would they approach market profile from the beginning? Hello? Steve? Steve? Or are you asking yeah. Steve? Uh, um, uh, no, uh, JJ, I'm asking. Oh. JJ, asking JJ, right? Yeah. Oh, oh for... To... I mean, think about our audience, right? They're, they're yeah. here. They're, they're like, okay, you know, so everybody wants me to learn this profile. Yeah. Like what, what would be, what would be the step one? What do you think you would say? What I usually do is it, it's hard to explain it for me without showing them. So what I always do is I throw up a zoom and I'll watch a market trade and I'll show them the steps of finding where the buying is and where the selling is. Because as a retail trader, all they really need to do is know where the buying and the selling is. And if you know where the stops are in, in a half hour profile chart, generally, if it can't run the lower stops, the market will turn and, and look for supply higher, right? And once they see just something like that, they start to click in a little bit. Um, I find that there's so much about profile, but to quickly show someone, I usually take them, put them on a Zoom and show them and... And I'll be able to say, like, I, all I trade is ES. I'm, I'm very loyal to one market. So I just trade the ES so I know it. And I've been looking at it for six years, for 18 hours a day. So it, when I tell people, okay, watch this level, it's going to come down and pause and then turn and then probably go back up. And it does that, like, say, at the, the bottom of a half-hour TPO. They, they're just blown away by it. They're like, how did you know that was going to happen, you know? But um, but the but the idea is is to make people self sufficient, right? Yeah, that takes time. Of that, course, right? That unfortunately, no, takes time. Takes time, right? And so, um, you made an interesting comment about how you you let people watch the profile fill itself in. Yeah. And and maybe Stephen can can touch on the the way the market rotates around. And maybe that will offer people who are just watching profile for the first time, if there's if there's some value to watching the the way the profile fills itself in over over say a two or three hour period. Stephen, is there a value to that? Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, we're you know in, in the book that I wrote, you know, we talk about the uh, the auction process, right? I mean, you know, on the floor, off the floor. I mean, on the floor, obviously, you're you're right there in the meat of it. You understand the, the dynamic of the bids and the offers coming into the floor. I think you see the same thing in the screen. Like we talk about the, uh, you know, the four-step auction process, series of prices and the direction, and then the stopping, and then the development, and then the, you know, essentially try to revert your mean, some type of mean reversion. Is it going to succeed in doing that? Creating some type of symmetrical, you know, the, the Gaussian distribution, you know, talking about the Gaussian distribution and, an asymmetrical or symmetrical type of a distribution is it going to be something that's going to have a tail or is it going to be more normalized. I mean, that whole, that's what profile, understanding profile is all about is trying visualization, I would say. And, you know, the screen time you get, you know, uh, you had guys mentioned, uh, you know, uh, you know, Peter Stavemeyer, he's one to develop the profile and Jim Dalton, he was an early student and he's kind of gone off on his, uh, on his own and built his own uh, business out of it. And, and, you know, he's kind of stayed in what I would call legacy profile land, you know, screen time observing and kind of building your inventory of observations that you can mm -hmm. utilize to trade with. And and we're more or less gone down the, 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 the path of trying to automate things and, you know, time variable profiles and utilizing, uh, you know, additional input, i.e., you know, what is the background relative to the foreground? What is the, 
the volume you're able to see at 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 at, uh, at time versus volume at price, which is what a lot of people look at with, with the liquidity data bank. So I think that uh, you know it is very very important to be able to visualize what's going on in the market and. Uh, um, yeah, we're proponents also of, you know, JJ mentioned becoming a master of ES, you know, we're more proponents of trading opportunities. Uh, I, I track, you know, 40 or 50 markets uh, trying to find the cleanest opportunity. Uh, so I'm, a, you know, Chris is a master of EA, of the stock indexes. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a jack of all trades, I would call myself. I'm, I, uh, I look at everything from fixed income to, uh, to foreign exchange, to metals, that the, the energies, uh, equities and just really trying to find some type of a, of a clean setup. You know, I think that JJ or anyone who's trading, they're going to have some setup they like. And, and my contention has always been that uh, if I'm looking at lots of different things, I'll find something clean. If I can look at five markets or 10 markets, 20 markets, I'll find a clean or two or three clean trades every day versus forcing myself to trade just one market that's on the floor, right? The same thing when you're on the on the floor in the pit, you're forced to trade just that market. And sometimes there were great days to trade and sometimes not so great. But if you could float around on the floor to go to the market or the pit that had the best opportunity, that's a more advantageous position to be in. And that's why we're proponents of trying to trade lots of different markets. Pete used uh, this, uh, just to, so to summarize for someone who's watching and unfamiliar with profile, one of uh, Pete Stottlemyre's um, sayings would be, in if you're a fastball hitter, instead of looking to hit a curveball, just crush fastballs. Right. And right. so that would be the takeaway for the for the person who's just learning profile is become familiar with it. Find a setup that works and then nice. scan through different markets that you know that that is a particular. And so if we if we drill down to the understanding of, you know, we're looking for setups that work. Then and there is a particular setup that works. Then there must be a reason, a theoretical auction market theory, right? Is that something that we could yeah. call this, right? If there yeah. must be, a, there must be a reason for why that setup works. They don't just. There's no exactly. magical black box behind it, right? Exactly. Right. There's, sorry, there's there's a business that's creating the chart. Right. You know, it's you know, uh, like my favorite setup is to look below and fail. Um, you know, where, mm -hmm. you know, it, that's it, Steven's favorite. That's one of Steven's favorites. I, I love that trade because, you know, inventory gets too long. It sells off and then everybody thinks it's going to sell off even more, but it's just inventory. It's inside supply. There's no other time frame sellers because it hits your very specific references to the tick and stops, or it looks below just a little bit, cleans out that level, pops back up. And then you can take that counter inventory trade and it's just beautiful. And, and it, uh, and once you do it over and over and over again, you know, when it's going to work, when it's not, how to kind of read the price action around it. And, um, I just love that trade. Uh, you know, it's, he would, he would describe that as the market closing off a direction, which was very ah. strange, right? Isn't, which was very strange to hear if you'd never really experienced it the way you were experiencing it now, but yeah. you hear the, ah, people out there who are listening for the first time would recognize the, ah, that recognition in your voice. Yeah. Um, Steve. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I think the best, attribute or quality of profiles that allows you to kind of verbalize what's happening in the marketplace. I mean, a lot of people who look at all the, uh, the technical indicators, I Chris uses a CQG and there's 101 different studies on there. Oh, and, and they're all external to the market as we call them. And, uh, 
you know, as Pete always says, you know, markets don't create moving averages of stochastics or relative strength. I mean, what it doesn't market do, it creates, uh, it creates, you know, acceptance of price, rejection of price. And if you can kind of break the market down into, into that context and, and really understand what's going on within the auction, that kind of really puts you in a bit an advantageous position. You know, so I think just uh, to your point of viewing the price action, you know, there's nothing that can replace that. Uh, uh, you know, we've always said that, uh, uh, you know, a person can trade better than a computer, but a, a, a computer has more capacity than a person. So, you know, pick your pick your poison, I guess. Right? If you could trade 24 hours a day, uh, sit in front of a screen, you know, you're 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 unique. Uh, you know, <laughs> most people most people <laughs> really only have a certain capacity to, yeah. to sit behind a screen, right? And exactly. I would say. It's less than what they might think, you know, as far as staying focused and being able to, to do the right thing. I mean, that's what I always, for me, the most important thing about trading is doing the right thing, whether it being putting and putting the trade on or taking it off. If you can always say you're going to do the right thing, you know, you can you can put a trade on and know you manage it properly or you'll get out of it properly. And if you can do that, you're you're in you're enough in the driver's seat. I would say. Definitely, I I I myself, how I try and explain profile is. You know, I'll, I'll pull up a time in sales and I'll say, mm-hmm. okay, you guys, here's the time in sales. These are transactions, right? This is just a record of all the transactions that are happening. Profile is a sort of a two-dimensional record of that where you can actually put it together and make some sense out of it, organize the data in a way that you can make sense. Like if you see in a market, you know, three or four poor lows every day stacking up on top of each other, you know, supply is running out. And the move is the upside because the bid keeps moving higher, forcing people to take the offer, right? And, ju- you know, it's it's just amazing. Um, I started playing with balance zones. And I noticed that you have something called the PG2 mark indicator. Yeah, and page I'm just, two, yeah. yeah, page two mark indicator. Like, because mm-hmm. the one thing that Jim said once was, you know, you take this balance zone and then you double it to get the target. And yeah. I was you know, kind of lazy coming from the institutional side. So I grabbed onto that and held onto it like a lifesaver. And I started developing these balance zones for equities and Bitcoin and ES. And I noticed that after a while, like once you start looking at find a balance zone, no matter what time frame you're looking at, even on a candle chart, it works. When you double the balance to the upside or the downside, Mm -hmm. the, the accuracy of the target is just, it just blows you away. I mean, I have balance zones that I came up with in April 2020 that still mm-hmm. give decent results. Can you can yeah. you break it down so someone who's watching and learning profile for the first time understand what the procedure that you quickly sure. can you explain that in 30 seconds exactly how you do that? Sure. What I do is I look for a bracketed, you know, what you guys call um, you know, a back and forth bracketed market, you know, in a range, right? And then I'll look at the top and the bottom of that range. And if it looks above the top of it and comes back to the bottom, looks underneath the bottom and comes back up to the top, you've got balance. Then you take that and double it to the upside and double it to the downside. And I swear to God, when I do this, people, people, it's like I'm doing a magic trick on the screen. And, you know, the market will go right to the thing, to the tick. And it's not because I'm at all intelligent or anything, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm like, then I get them to do it and they start doing it. And I'm like, okay, great. Now we got to figure out how to trade this. That's another thing. But once you see that and the power of that simple, yet such an elegant thing, um, 
you segmenting. Know, perhaps you're, we could call that segmenting data. You've discovered a very simple, non-complex method of segmenting data predicated on the, the mean reversion aspect of the trading day. Yeah, we had this way back then, you know, when Pete first came up with it, you know, and I, I, I talked about it in the book as far as uh, talking about normal and normal variation, some type of expansion from balanced imbalance. And I think that those are those range parameters that, that we're talking about, yeah, that that was something that, you know, is transcends markets. And you can expand that, you know, from different time frames. I look at weekly auctions. We're talking about an auction, right? You can talk mm -hmm. about that. Quarterly auctions, you know, way back when in fixed income, they used to have auctions every quarter, you know, then with the energy space, I mean, you have the, uh, you have the API uh, numbers that uh, uh, come out weekly. So, I mean, anything that has uh, some type of a regular reoccurring event, you know, you essentially what's happening, uh, you know, you have the, uh, the, the grain reports. I mean, you're, you're having some type of uh, supply demand e equation that's being analyzed and getting some type of a, you know, a fact, a hard fact out there that people can kind of, uh, you know, the the fundamental guys can integrate into their their models and try to trade, and that kind of allows for for those parameters to kind of be met, I think, and then they're you know definitely good uh, good tools to try to integrate into what you're looking at. Uh, you know, it really gives you some good levels to to kind of lean against. That's genius. If you think about it, that there instead of using the the open and the close as your parameters from segmenting data, just use those reoccurring fundamental. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. start and stop points yeah yeah just, you know natural starting and stopping points yeah right instead of using the clock right the clock only yeah, exists yeah. for from a perspective of i'll meet you for lunch at one o'clock <laughs> right in a 24-hour marketplace what purpose the clock doesn't mean anything exactly exactly right. it, it's beautiful it's uh yeah the the, the, the amount of information uh, you know uh I was lucky because for five years I was I was looking after my mom in a place called Saskatchewan, um, where it's like minus sixty for like eight mm -hmm. ten months out of the year. So really, you're stuck inside. It makes Chicago seem like the Bahamas. Mm -hmm. um, and um, you know, so I was you know I had eighteen hours a day of screen time. Then even in the summer there was not much to do. So you know I'd I'd sit there and and you know and just watch uh, markets, you know, the, the ES trade over and over and over again and, and see, um, and, and see the power of this. And, um, you know, then we started trying to teach people, well, retail traders, um, you know, um, who, you know, who are struggling to find consistency and you show them the lessons of, of market structure. And they didn't even know that such a thing as market structure even exists. So once you open their eyes to that, um, it's just, you know, it's like taking a blindfold off. It's it's quite an amazing process. Steve, Stephen, when you teach people, it's been pretty much a tough love sort of environment. Pete's method of teaching was this is he would teach a class and then never go back. In other words, you had to have been at that class, right? Oh, wow. yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, for us, I mean, I would say, first of all, the. Uh... I would say 80 percent of the people that we get in touch with, they, they probably have some experience in a lot of cases lots of experience with the profile and so they're they're somewhat knowledgeable in the in the concept and you know i would say what we offer what what we have is uh is, you know a stepped up version of market profile you know something that's much more cutting edge you know something that's much more uh mm -hmm. dynamic and what it can provide people to, to work with and trade with i mean of course you have to have a a starting point but yeah pete is yeah, we started developing software in 1991. Then the first iteration, you know, 16-bit application, 
we worked with that for for seven eight years. We started a new thirty two bit application, you know, in, in nineteen ninety eight, and we're still developing it and are enhancing it. and And I think we're out to build, uh, you know, twenty you know two thousand and fifty builds. You know, so we have no no. Yeah. T- sorry, mine says twenty one sixty four. Okay, twenty one sixty four. Okay, twenty one hundred builds. So uh, the versions yeah, but, of it. Yeah, always trying to to make it better. You know, that's the you know when we first started, we thought we. You know, put start developing something and get it complete within a year. But uh, you know, with uh, for seeing how it's serve our own purpose of trading, it's important to uh, to keep it what we feel is the best as far as the best software out there. So we're continuing to add it and make it improve it. And uh, I think that uh, you know, as Chris said, I mean, there's people have been using our software for you know 20 plus years, and you know, with all these different iterations of the programs and builds, some people will. Uh, kind of step off and use certain functionality. Some people want to keep forging forward, but it's uh, just, you know, personal, personal preference. But uh, as Chris said, Pete's always trying to, you know, and in trading, I mean, that's one thing you're all going to find in trading. If you stick with it, you know, you're going to have to evolve yourself and it's not going to be what, what you work, what worked five or 10, 15 years ago, won't work as well as it does today. You'll have to refine yourself and change your approach a bit. I mean, a super interesting conversation is 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 what's the volume at the higher lows, and how we had we had gone from. It used to be we we're always looking for climactic bottoms, like you were saying, like they run the stops to the downside and then mm-hmm. they reverse. Mm-hmm. And because now with electronic trading, we have a footprint of both volume and price. At every every transaction leaves a footprint, mm-hmm. whereas in the ring we not we didn't we didn't necessarily know the size because it was so chaotic. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most recent thinking appears to be that at the highs and lows is a lack of volume. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's kind of interesting. I mean I, I think mm-hmm. that uh, um, you know back in the day, as Chris can attest to, you know people would always locals would always try to put in new highs or new lows to check for stops, right? And and that would be one of the uh, uh, the exercises they they all would take to just kind of see what was up there and. Uh, yep. Yeah, would that would that did it initiate covering, or would that be something that someone would be willing to fade? And so I think that was the uh, the floor mentality, you know, way back when. You know, I think uh, just kind of checking for that. And I think electronically, it, because the the market's much more deep, right, Chris? You can see that in the book. You know, it's hard to really approach the market from that standpoint. Next thing you know, you're you're long at the top or short at the bottom, and, <laughs> and nothing, nothing, nothing <laughs> to help you out there. So I think, as Chris mentioned, I think the whole there are there are times actually one of my favorite setups honestly is uh is looking for that exhaustive volume at a market extreme right chris mm-hmm. uh the red profile we call it i mean there's people who who trade just this exhaustive setup you know myself included whenever you see that as some type of market extreme uh yeah, but you do see uh you know we have other things that look for concentration of volume so i think concentration of volume you know where the market you know doesn't follow through. I mean, Peter used to always say, "All the king's horses and all the king's men." So, everyone and the brothers bought the top or sold the, the low. There's going to be no one left to piggyback that idea, right? So it's going to have to mean revert. So, looking for volume you know, to be exhaustive at that an extreme is also something to, at least for me, it's something that I've continued to focus on. Hey, Steve, would that be relevant to like, hey, you you know, all the good news is out and you sell them here? Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Sort of, you know, that old cliche where we would be like, you know. Or you know, all the bad news is out. We can buy, but like my friends would say, you buy heating oil on the hottest day of the year. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. No, you know, I think you know, there's a guy that 
we know that uh, Stafford over at the, the CBO, John Stafford, and his favorite saying is, or what thing that I always remember about him is what's more important than what that what happens is what doesn't, you know. So, you know, you get a big, a big bullish number coming out and, and the market doesn't rally or you get a big bearish number, the market doesn't break. And that kind of really sets the tone. Why is that? I mean, could be everyone set you know, already on that, that side of the market and, and there's no one left to, to buy that bullish report or sell that bearish report. So those are some little, little nuances that I think as far as you know, really trying to capture what's going on in the market. And, uh, you know, I think if you can, you know, over time, those are things you pick up upon. It's not something that is going to be ingrained in your in your head, you know, tomorrow, but that's through experience and, and observations, you'll be able to pick on some things like that. Hey, Ray, you, you are a poker player, Ray. You yep. use, use tells, right? Is that is this equivalent to a tell? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's physical tells. And then what I think is even more important is uh, betting tells, um, you know, the, the the patterns of people's betting. So, yeah, I think it'd be, it'd be, it's a fair equivalent. Stephen, do you ever play poker? No, I, I go to casinos. <laughs> and I, 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 like I tell everyone that I talk to, I'd, I'd rather make, make a, uh, an educated decision versus just flip a coin if I'm going to be taking on risk or, or, or speculating. So I've always uh, not been too engaged in, the, in, in that, in that uh, field, actually. Do you ever buy lotto tickets? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I just always like things like I like to go fishing because you never know what you might catch or you, know, you buy a lottery ticket. You might be that you might win that uh, that billion dollar, or hundred million dollar uh, uh, payout. So, yeah, I, there's always that's one attractive thing about things like that. And, you know, you never know what's on what's out there that you could potentially walk away with. So I, I that's always kind of fun to do that kind of stuff. And you guys, you'll never believe this, but sometimes Stephen puts on a trade and then turns off the screen. Right. Right. That's my. For me, wow. I, I I always have an idea, you know, a good idea, and what I want to do, you know, uh-huh. trading structure and everything that I look at. I mean, I look at, uh, you know, like we say, price plus times equals value. If that's what you're looking at. You know, that's price acceptance or rejection. We have uh, things we look at as far as uh, what is the background. We're looking at volume things. So, I mean, there's anyone who trades, I think that they have a setup that they like to trade. And, and for me, I like to look for certain setups and I like to put the trade on and I know where I'm right or wrong, always or where I'm wrong, I should say. So, you know, instead of creating the anxiety of putting a trade on and watching it move for you and against you and, and over managing the position, you know, I've, I've always opted to just you know, turn it off and um, move my focus to another market or doing something else. I think that's for me, it served me better. So the idea is, is that as the trade unfolds, we don't know how if it's going for us, we don't. We have to manage it once we're in it from a perspective of maybe there's more to this. Yeah, oh, I think. Yeah. I think like on the floor, Chris can attest to this. I mean, you know, we would see people on on the floor. Yeah, you know, when markets moving around a lot, lots of opportunity. But then when markets would get kind of quiet, you're just trying to make your nut right for the day, and so you're increasing your volume and. Uh, you're going to put yourself in positions. You know, you we'll say you're trading corn. You're trading a fifty lot in corn. You want to make a half cent, you know, so you're going to be, you know, looking to make, you know, a thousand bucks or so. And, and you'll, that, that 10 cent move, you'll never capture that 10 cent move, right? You know, whereas the, you know, you're risking, you're looking to risk a half cent, but then you're going to get blindsided because something's going to happen once one of your trades where you're going to take a five cent loss. So I think uh, you always want to have expectations of the market, but you really want to, you know, like we say, let the market breathe. You know, Pete would always say that you want to, uh, Pay the what is, bills with a long short-term trade and put the money in the bank with the longer-term trading. He used to he used to say, 
keep unchanged on your side as long as you could. He'd say like if you yeah. could get the right trade location at the initiation phase, it would sometimes buy you time because he would say trade location is like in real estate location. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, so, absolutely. No, and so his for a long time, he was always like, you know, if we can buy some time without the market moving against us, it'll give us a chance for the market to go our way. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's always real important. You know, I think, uh, you know, you know when you're wrong. That's if you can do that in trading, you know, uh, you know, you can have some type of backstop. You're in a favorable position. You know, we never know what's in front of us as far as our potential in the trade. You know, but we uh, we know when we're wrong. You know, and, and I think, you know. You know, what's the saying go? Markets can stay irrational more than you can stay uh, liquid or whatever it is. And so, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. or the car runs fast at the bottom of the hill. People would always like to throw that one out there. And, you know, so that kind of goes in line with, uh, you know, what potential there is in the market. It probably exceeds what uh, what your expectations are. Um, that's a great thing. Just recapping that is that the the move, the cart moves, car moves fastest at the bottom of the hill means that generally if we're, if we're right location, then the trade starts to go our way, then it's going to be slow, eventually moving quickly. Mm -hmm. And that the corresponding aspect is if we're wrong, we need to shorten the duration between recognizing we're wrong and acting to get out. Mm -hmm. Very true. Very true. That's a challenge. I'm sorry, go ahead. It is. I, I was going to ask you, gentlemen, about something that we found really, really instrumental in our trading is the concept of single prints between two distributions. Mm -hmm. uh, when a market rips and leaves single prints where it takes the stop of that swing high or the previous day high and shorts are trapped there, and then you'll see that the single prints will build out. And then when the price comes back down, there's a bid right? Mm -hmm. it, it comes right into that bid because that's where the shorts are trapped in their bid to cover. That aspect has helped us save so many people from getting short or, you know, not covering a short because I'm like, Hey, there's single prints. And if those things don't fill, this thing's going to keep going higher because we're out of supply, right? You know, it, once you run out of supply, you know, demand, because listen, I used to manipulate stocks for a living. And I know once you get the float tied up, you know, I could, there was one stock I could move 10, $15 a share by spending 800 bucks, you know, mm -hmm. so they're so thin when there's no supply. Um, you know, the concept of single prints is just, it's astounding how accurate it is. It's, it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And 90% of people don't even know what they are, you know. He even calls that minus development. Yeah, that's a big imbalance in the market as you attested to and why are there single prints, you know, and, and on, on the rally, as you made reference to, I mean, because there was no opposite participation, right? There was, uh, yeah. you know, the, the buying overwhelmed the selling, you know, and once they were able to kind of match up, then you're going to get single and double and triple prints. But, yeah. uh, you exactly. know, me, yeah. I always look to uh, trade halfway back into that. If I, as far as initiating a trade, you know, you got the imbalance on your side and, uh, you know, the magnitude of the setback and a trade back just a couple ticks into it can trade half back, back and trade three quarters of the way back. That kind of gives you a underlying perspective as to how powerful they are. That's a, for everybody listening, um, single prints are like a gap, but mm -hmm. it happens during the day. And then the markets tend to fill those, generally speaking. Yeah, um, but Stevens come up with an, a really great distinction. And um, within that framework is, is that, um, it's possible that they don't get all of the minus development 
retraced mm -hmm. and that that offers a sort of a temperature gauge in regards to the appetite or need for, for particular positions to be closed as people mm -hmm. are willing to to cover or to exit um before the entire sort of inefficiency is traded out yeah it gives you kind of a real clear roadmap as to you know where you can do something at and where you're on i mean what more could you ask for when you're trying to put on a trade right. exactly so right exactly. kind of create right. something that when it works and that it has really good potential and then it can, it's pretty clear when you're wrong because you're trying you're trading for imbalance and the market going to balance negates that idea so you have to you know cut cut the cord and move on yep. all right just got to take a quick second to shout out our good friends of the podcast apex trader and top step funding any listener of this podcast that has the skills to pass on evaluation can become a prop trader fully funded by either Apex Trader or Top Step Funding. Our own micro e futures trading community has many members who are now fully funded. No need to trade with your own money. Keep 90% of the profits to learn more. You can visit our website at microefutures.com. Uh, Steve, a, a while back, you you mentioned, which I, I really liked, um, how you know you you like to look for clean setups, you know, so you, you look through various markets. Um, I'm curious, do you have um Maybe just a, a few strategies that you apply through all the markets, or maybe do you segment certain strategies for specific markets? No, I mean for us, I mean we really like to kind of come up with ideas or strategies that are they're not market specific. I'm, mm -hmm. I really like to come up with things that are more generic, more general that you can overlay all markets. I mean that's more of a favorable strategy, I would say, uh, uh, versus something that's really specific to one market. So. I like to look for uh, things that can overlay anything and everything. You know, things that I like to look for. One would be exhaustive volume at an extreme, you know, so you see the market and trading in some type of a range, you know, uh, you know, what's market, you know, especially when it's on the you know, the opposite side. So, for instance, you know, markets trading in a range, we'll say crude's trading on an 80 to $100 range, and I see heavy volume buying at the top at $100 or heavy volume selling at the bottom $80, and then the market starts moving away from there. I would be looking for the market to potentially, you know, reverse from those levels you know that's always a, a favorite trade of mine just looking for exhaustion you know at, at a market extreme you know with with people getting offsides you know people selling the lower buying the top that's you know because that's when the market's going to move the quickest uh the vertically uh as well as the fastest so you know people offside if you're trading in a you know 100 to an 80 dollar range you buy 100 or sell 80 you know you can see that and then if it starts going against you you can say you know i'm selling the market on an 80 to 20 dollar break or buying on a 20 dollar rally so you know, I think that's that's going to induce those people potentially to start covering their their shorts or longs, and then people will want to fade and say, you know, I'm going to be trying to trade the top of the development solid or by the bottom. They can kind of then lean into the the short covering at the bottom or long addition at the top and try to you know, add fuel to the the market continuing to try to mean revert. So that's one of the trades I always like to look for. Single prints, as JJ mentioned, you know, that's always something that's really really clean as far as a uh, trade setups go. Um, you know, similarly, uh, what we've always been big believers in is the is you know a, a big vertical move one way and then reversal of that vertical move that really kind of sets the tone for some longer duration. So you know, some type of a price spike up one direction, we'll say rallying, and then the market reversing all of that. That's going to set the tone for a you know a top in the market. So or similarly the bottom. So those are three real objective, clear setups that that I really like to trade. You can you can make a career out of those three setups. Right. Absolutely. 
<laughs> Quick question. What do you gentlemen think about these large, massive ranges in the equity indexes like the ES these days? I mean, really, these things are, you know, when I started trading ES, you know, you had tight ranges, you saw those B-shaped profiles, things like that. Now you just get these massive, massive ranges. Um, I have my own theories, but I'd, I'd love to hear what you gentlemen have can to you, say about Can that. you refine that? Can you ask a more specific question? Well, you know, uh, the daily trading range in 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 the E-mini, for example, right? The range, I noticed that over the last couple of years, the ranges, the daily ranges have gotten larger and larger and larger. Um, and I, you know, remember the, you know, learning about the B-shaped profile and the P-shaped profile and that sort of thing. And, you know, that B-shaped profile, you see those building up, you see tight uh, consolidation and, you know, you see them building a cost basis and then a move higher, for example. Now you just see just these huge back and forth profiles um, and with very, very large ranges. So I'm just wondering if, you know, what, what your gentleman's views on the ranges and, and that, you know, how a little bit of size comes into the book and it moves the price drastically these days. Uh, I'll go first, Steve. I know we could talk for we could talk for days for people who are listening. Um, one is, of course, the economic nature of just in time inventory. Another is the information dissemination uh, is so rapid that it mm -hmm. takes time to find opposite. In other words, if the world is long, ah, yes, yes, yes. and because everybody has the information and say they're long and they're wrong on some headline, no one's going to be in a hurry to take the problem off your hands. Mm -hmm. So the rate, the markets have to go further before the buyers are price wise. They have to go further in obviously short amounts of time to find people who are willing to step up and assume the risk of your mistake. Um, on top of that, um, there's no incentive to be Everybody knows that markets now express themselves vertically rather than horizontally. Um, so there's no incentive to sit there top of book. Um, and the market, the risk element in regards to being a market maker means at any time there's some sort of dislocating price action without any news event known. That means that the market makers just pull their bids anyway because they yeah. don't know what's happening. Bid off, yeah. Um, as well as there are, I'm sure there are many algos that proceed to be our kind of taker algos will just run when something happens for no reason. And then, I mean, there must be programs that measure whether the book is empty behind what's happened. Mm. And if there's supply coming down behind what's happened, then they know that they can continue to push. Got it. Right. As yeah. well as the whole concept of intraday retracements are no longer valid because you've already exhausted all the resting orders inside that range, Bingo. which you. is to your point of your uh, barbell distributions that you were talking about with single prints in the middle. And mm -hmm. Steve, Stephen was the one who told me about this years ago. He goes that the only place that you can find existing orders are above or, or below the highs or the lows, which is what leads to these barbell distributions. And when, and then, of course, we need to know where the stops are. Yeah. So we're going to go try, and the markets are trying to find those stops as well. So you have, there's many different aspects to the questions in regards to the ranges and the behaviors associated with that. Thank you. Thank you. That just, uh, I, I just, a lot Idiot. of people, I, I ask, a lot of people, I ask that question and they really can't answer it. So it's really nice to, to, uh, 
you know, to get your perspective on that. Thank Stephen you. might have a, Stephen might have completely <laughs> different views on that. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty much in line with what you said. I mean, I think for sure the algos, as you made reference to, you know, that's that's certainly uh, an impact. It wasn't there. I mean, the liquidity that um, you know was on the floor, and and you know, as far as on the screen now, I mean, as you said, there there is not a great incentive to to, to fade the order flow. You know, so I think there, as you said, they're stepping away from it. I think. Uh, all the social media out there today, I mean, markets are much, much more one dimensional. You know, I think that everyone has, you know, you, what's the fear and greed and all these different, uh, you know, uh, it, things that people look at. I mean, everyone seems like everyone's all in or they're all out. I mean, as far as uh, whatever it might be, the crypto space or the metals or the equities, mm -hmm. you want to be long, you want to be short. It's, you know, it wasn't so much a two sided trade. It's more one sided. And, and you know, I think, you know, Chris and I are looking at the software we worked with, you know, you, you could see this. Uh, the one-sided trade they go two different uh, directions within a day and that would kind of if you're looking at the standard profile would kind of display something that's more maybe a bit more symmetrical but if you're, you're segment data you can see there's an auction that goes one way first part of the day and then goes a different direction in another part of the day and you know for me i i think chris is probably about the same time you know you get the the open and i think statistically you'd probably see that the uh you know chris tell me if i'm wrong but you, you probably two, at least two-thirds of the the day is you're going to set an extreme in the first half hour and uh and then you know come two o'clock chicago time or three o'clock new york time it seems like another auction starts and so you could almost trade two separate you know i don't want to call them two separate days but uh you know just two two separate segments and and uh, that's how i would approach it if i was going to be looking at the the equity space well that's an interesting concept in other words there's there are people who are playing for the close it seems as though with all the index funds being p and l to the close it's where you get filled if you're trading an index fund mm -hmm. um you know that's that's a very important number for a lot of people because you know billions trade at that number and well, certainly there's funds out there right that the yeah, i mean they they just track what the what the, the mutual fund flows are going to be, and they know it's going to be net long buying or, or, or net buying, and so they're going to front run it, right? Going into yep. the, you know, and then, right. So, so, yeah, I guess you can judge, like, if they start at 2.30, are they going too early? And if they, right, I guess that I guess the, the accepted time now is if they start at, you know, a little bit after 3 o'clock, they can run it to the close. Yeah. And then everyone gets paired off at the close and people who front run it are thank you very much. And the retail customer who's using index funds has no idea. Yeah. Let's try it again tomorrow, right? Yeah. And their, their time frame is much longer. Yep. Mm -hmm. True. Yeah. Interesting. So, so you guys are veterans to the game and, you know, Chris, you even mentioned before we started the podcast that you think um, experience may even uh, be a hindrance, which I, I'll let you speak to here um, in a second. Um, so my thought, and I've asked other guests this before, uh, you know, we spoke, we spoke about uh, being an athlete as well, where, you know, athletes, they have their peak years and, you know, it's uh, mainly due to physical limitations. We don't have physical limitations as traders. Do you guys feel that you're the best trader that you've been today? Or do you think you've had peak years? Um, you know, I guess just, just speak to that. People, I mean, oh, yeah. go ahead, Stephen. I mean, for me, I mean, I would just, so the experience you gain over time, you know, you, you that that's going to uh, uh, trump anything you have as far as being young and being reactive because you're never going to be as fast as a computer. And, you know, here in Chicago, we've got Citadel and and the money they're spending on, on access to markets and speed to, of, 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 of trade execution. I mean, the only advantage you have is being young. I mean, as far as trading per se would be the execution of a trade. And that's no 
edge versus the the big boys out there you know as far as being open to, to looking at at, at uh, new approaches that's probably true but the experience you gain through your you know 10 15 20 years of trading i would say that more than offsets uh anything out there that uh you know you or me or anyone can find on the internet i mean how uh, chris can it you know we've been around the block we've seen a lot of people try to sell software or strategies or approaches and and uh um, not to, from my point of view, I, I really haven't seen too much out there that's too great. So, you know, a young person is going to be wanting to learn and, and spending more time reading and researching. But, uh, you know, I think the time is better spent on finding some approach that you that resonates with you and then becoming proficient in that and, and gaining experience. And, and that's going to be the uh, experience that's going to really carry you as you get older and can really offset anything anyone else can offer to you versus uh execution and things you can do at a, at a young age. Yeah, that's super well said. Super well said. I would say that experience comes with a cost, then and certainly the mar the markets are evolving. So you, you so you make a mistake. Okay, so you're going to dust yourself off, start over again. You're not going to make that mistake again. But will the market actually ever revert back to that same scenario where you had made that mistake? Probably not. Right. So um, but what does what what Stephen's point brought up a, an interesting thought, which was that, um, and someone on the exchange told me this years ago. They said if you're in regards to losses and then the ability to come back from losses, um, building a positive track record of slow positive cash flow. Um, it and the metaphor they used was that if you walk into a bank as a new business and ask for a loan because you've had a tough run of it. They're going to say, well, your business has no track record. There's no way we're going to loan you money. But if you come there after five years of being in business and say, look, I've had a bad month or something. Can you loan me money? And the bank looks at your track record and says, well, yes, of course, right? You've been in business all this time. This is just a temporary setback. And the concept that they were trying to enlighten me with was the understanding that from a personal perspective, if you go for slow positive cash flow, you can weather the occasional downturn, knowing that inside you have the ability to come back because of your track record of a slow positive cash flow. And so maybe history, to your point of history or of experience, maybe experience does afford you that if you can generate slow positive cash flow, if you're not a gunslinger, if you have a method, if you have, if you have as discipline and you have the curiosity to evolve with the markets because they're changing, then, then that would perhaps be a benefit of experience. There is also that sort of spidey sense of when things aren't working mm -hmm. and you, and you're like, Whoa, this, this doesn't smell right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, or, you know, there is the, also the, the, the joy in watching yourself progress and there's no one there's no one to pat you on the back because these are hard fought battles that you are having with yourself to get better and and you're like okay that that is one thing where maybe experience can be viewed in a positive light yeah we have a saying right you're only as good as your last trade you've heard that expression a hundred times and i think a, a young guy would would take that to heart more than an old, old season guy like me and chris we know that's not the case we're going to look at it Sample size of 100 trades, you know, so we're not going to have the emotional roller coaster, but a, a young guy would look at things different. And I, I would say that's important to uh, keep that in context. You know, I think yeah. you, you have to pay your, your tuition, right? You, know, you have to, mm -hmm. you know, it's not, you're, you're a good 
year. And we, you know, Pete would always say it takes 10 years to, to say you can be successful in this business because you have to uh, go through all the economic cycles, all the, the psychological things that you have to deal with in trading. And, uh, you know, until you've done that, been around for 10 years, I mean, there's lots of people, Chris has seen them on the floor I have, you know, you get a bull, you get a, a, a drought market in the grains and everyone makes lots of money and they give it all back the next 10 years. And is it more a function of your skill or being in the right place at the right time? And I think mm-hmm. that's uh, a lot of anyone, especially, you know, young guys getting into the trade, they, they make some money and they think they're God's gift to trading. And <laughs> it's not the reality at all. It's just the function of being at the right place at the right time. And I would bet. 95% of those people give it all back, you know, and then they have, then they realize it's, uh, it's more difficult than what they thought it was. And they really have to hunker down and, and put forth the effort if they do want to be successful. The lab writes about that and fooled by randomness for anybody who's interested in going into that theory a little yeah. bit more. It's an excellent book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and this is why I was grateful. Um, I guess we were talking about like poker and like transitioning or gamblers making good traders. Um, you know, I guess like the equivalent is, uh, you know, someone who's getting dealt the deck in poker, right? Like he thinks he's great, but he's really just, uh, he's just getting dealt the deck. He, he's getting great hands and that's what keeps him coming back to the tables. And I would tell people, you, you don't get upset at that guy. That's what makes this game good. He thinks he's good. He comes mm-hmm. back. Um, but a great book, Chris, by the way. Yeah. Um, definitely encourage any listeners, um, go read it. And, um, yeah, that's what, that's what poker really ingrained in me is, uh, the, the probabilities, uh, the randomness, um, and yeah, just suggest everyone go out there, uh, read the book. Uh, Chris, I, I wanted to ask you too. Uh, you, you have a Twitter, correct? Chris, I wanted to make sure I look, look up the right one. Yeah, I'm Chris C. Katie. Okay. See, right. yeah, Chris C. Katie, because there were already, already, already other Chris Katie's and my middle initial is C. So I'm Chris C. Katie. Um, so going, yeah, so, so going, going through, I wanted to make sure that was your actual Twitter. Cause you know, before doing the podcast, I want to just like look through, see if I could find any good tidbits and, and you did, you had some tweets that I found interesting. I just want to ask you about real quick. Sure. Um, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll wrap this podcast up. Um, and if some, you had a tweet about something, I guess Stottlemyre told you. Um, and he said, he said, uh, always do the hard trade. What, what is yeah. meant by this? Steven? Oh, you're, 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 you put the quote out there, Chris. You can, <laughs> you can, you can respond. <laughs> you got it. A hard trade is, is, uh, in the case of a, mar- for example, the markets move from balance to imbalance. Okay. And so just by the nature of just in time inventory, right? It's not, this is not some black box, you know, magic theory. Um, Pete used to say very quickly, he said, if you ran a lumber yard prior to the internet, if the price of lumber got cheap, you'd load up on lumber. And as the price got expensive, you'd let the yard run light. Okay. Then the just in time inventory comes along with the internet and they're like, we don't have it. We can get it for you tomorrow. Okay. And then, it, uh, then we've got Amazon because of that. Right. And retail stores went away. Pete's example was some guy comes into the lumber yard and says, uh, I need to build a condo complex. The lumber guy says, great. Picks up the phone, calls the lumber pit, says, buy me a train load of lumber. Lumber spikes up, right? And then he puts the phone down, gives the guy the fill of the price, puts on 10%. Everyone's happy. Contractor's got a lumber. The lumber guy's made 10%. And the pit's got a new business. The, the idea of do the hard trade is, is that the market, if you're in the pit, and the guy, all of a sudden, the lumber guy comes in and says, what's here? 
and he starts lifting lumber, what you would have to do was actually buy in front of the guy about to buy a train little lumber. And that's wicked hard because you don't know how, how big the order is, Exactly. but you know that the market's leaving a position of balance. Right. And so by nature, if the market's leaving a position of balance, then there's zero chance of a retracement from a position of balance. And so you just have to you have to do the hard trade, which is, is which is like the market's been sitting there and all of a sudden now you're paying high prices to get long. But what's happening in the next 10 seconds is that the prices will go higher because everybody's trying to get on board. this inventory displacement. So doing the hard trade is an emotional or a psychological process where you're actually trying to adjust to the market going, you're trying to be in step with a market that's going from balance to imbalance. Yeah, you're kind of seeing a shift in value and something potentially, and everyone's kind of still stuck in what was the old value, and now this is Right. a new value. So you have to kind of uh, initially, the initial response is to fade all that, right, initially, Right. and then you realize that that's not the right approach, and you have to kind of change your ways. But uh, the person who can pick up on that quickly, he's in a favorable position, but it's, it's, as Chris said, it's the hardest trade to do. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, we, we, we've talked to a lot of people, um, a lot of great traders and, uh, what I thought about it too. And, and I, I think it's true for myself sometimes. Like sometimes the best trades are like the uncomfortable ones, the one where it fits my, my requirements, my system, but I'm like, God, I don't want to press the button. I, I don't want to, you know? Right. Every day, <laughs> every day yeah. is like this. Yeah. Every day. Well, Yeah. the, the, the crypto is a perfect example, right? I mean, going from you know fifteen thousand Fifteen to sixty, thousand to thirty, right? Or then the most then recent you know, move. everyone wants the, the easy trade is you know it's it's a strong market. I'm going to buy the I'm going to buy it at fifty five. I'm going to buy it at, at fifty. I'm buy it at forty five. I'm going to buy it at thirty, and all the way down. And then you know it's, it's people selling it at fifteen is going to go to twelve, and then it's the bottom's twelve, and and I mean so it's a you know also kind of a, a sentiment thing. What is the consensus kind of going against the consensus, which is a uh, You know, it's hard to go against consensus. It's easy to kind of load. It's it's easy to do what everyone else does. You know, the guys in the crude pit say it's not crude trading if it's comfortable. Mm. Mm. I like that. Uh, another another one of your tweets, Chris. Um, and I have I haven't heard. I guess this was uh, referring to uh, you posted. I think it was like a picture of Gartman's not so simple rules of trading. Um, and one of the rules. Um, I thought it was interesting. It said, think like a fundamentalist, trade like a technician. That you'd have to ask Gartman. I just posted that because Oh, I wanted okay. to. Okay. Um, you know, having been just collecting things and, and then you want to, you know, on the floor, people would always pass around newsletters or we would get them sent to us. And, you know, if you just, I have an archivist tendency where I would just save what I thought would be important things down the road. Like if you ever owned a bar where people could come after trading and you could paper the bathroom wall with all these old newsletters, <laughs> it'd be fun like that. But um, that hasn't happened yet. But, um, you know, those, those, there are, you know, Gartman had a large audience. Yeah, yeah, the good was good, very, very thorough, good newsletter for sure. Yeah. He quotes speed in there actually. Yeah, I'm sure he did more than once, right? Yeah. No, in the rules, Steve, in the, Oh, the rules? Oh, in okay. the, in his rules, he says, do the hard trade is Pete's rule. And he misspells Pete's name. <laughs> Excellent. Um, I guess one, one last thing here, um, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, and once again, so, sorry, Steve, this one's directed at Chris again. Um,
Chris, so, so you've, you've had three different mentors um, throughout your career. And I'm just a little curious, uh, maybe the most impact, if you can like speak to like one thing, maybe the most impactful thing from each one of them. Um, and for, for the listeners, there were Walter Frank, senior. Chairman New York, yep, Chairman New York Stock Exchange, and Junior, who died in 1995, at a very early age. Uh, then Victor Sprandio, Trader Vic, and then oh. uh, Stephen and Peter here, uh, who are my mentors. I would suggest for people who are looking for mentors to investigate their teacher first off and uh, do that, do very thorough in job of investigating your teacher before you take a teacher. Then once you decide that you want them as your teacher, then do whatever it is they say and, and make sure you follow through and, and, um, and then always try and honor your teachers in any way that is possible. Excellent. Excellent. So that's going to conclude today's episode of Confessions of a Market Maker. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it for us. If you'd like to join a supportive and professional community of traders, you can join us at microefutures.com. Chris, uh, Steve, um, guys, let the listeners know where they can find you or anything else you would like for them to know. I would, I'll do Steve first. Steve runs Capflow Software. It's great. Um, he's, he's not, easy to get lessons from but if you if you can get a trial or anything i highly suggest it um he's not much on twitter he's mostly at profile trading i think right profiletrading.com right Mm -hmm. right and then his book which is old is still pretty relevant (laughs) and i'm on twitter at chris c katie and i will answer uh when i have time anybody who writes Excellent. Excellent. And I, I'm pretty sure I said caddy at first. If, if I didn't be an intro, I apologize, Chris. <laughs> happens. Don't worry. <laughs> All right. So for Chris, Katie, for Stephen Hawkins, I'm Paulie Walnuts. He's the girl of house street. You stop though. <laughs>